sobering new restrictions on bars and restaurants. I am deeply disappointed and frustrated that no one in government had the courtesy to give us a heads up. Surprise measures to limit risky behavior on New Year's Eve. Trump Tower's party palace. Over uh, the past several weeks, VPD officers have uh, received uh, a dozen calls. Why a 24-year-old COVID scofflaw spent Christmas Day in jail. And battling back against hate. We hate Islam. Reaction from the people targeted by this angry tirade caught on camera. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with some breaking news, that surprise announcement that's going to impact a lot of New Year's Eve plans. More on the new COVID health order impacting bars and restaurants in just a moment. But first, the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 485 new cases. That's for a total now of 51,300. Sadly, there have been 11 more deaths. That means we've now lost 893 people to complications of the virus. 379 people are in hospital, 77 in the ICU. 41,681 people are considered recovered. We're now left with 7,551 active cases and 9,320 people in self-isolation. All right, Keith Baldry joins us live now with more on that announcement affecting mm-hmm. New Year's Eve plans and the sale of liquor. Sort of a last-minute announcement, Keith. Yeah, a bit of a bombshell. I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. So effective tomorrow night at 8 p.m., no alcohol can be sold or dispensed anywhere. Uh, and that includes restu- commercial establishments. You can do that at home, of course. But we're talking about restaurants, bars, uh, again, government liquor stores, private liquor stores. Nobody can sell booze after 8 o'clock. It expires at 9 a.m. the next day. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix today, we caught up with him on a Zoom call after the phone call briefing with Dr. Bonnie Henry and him and talked about the fact that 8 p.m. is uh, sooner than the 10 p.m. current rule and the potential impact that could have on what is going to transpire tomorrow night. Here's the Health Minister. As for whether changing last call by two hours will have all these other effects, um, you know, some people may debate that because they don't like uh, the fact that these measures have been brought in, but I think they're prudent measures, they're thoughtful measures, they're they're taken based on um, an evidence-based approach by uh, Dr. Henry and our team, and I think they're the right measures uh, for tomorrow night. Now, just for one night, as I say, the ban begins tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Uh, you can still be in a restaurant after that. You just can't be served or purchase alcohol after that. And, of course, it expires at 9 a.m. the next day. So it's really one day. Nevertheless, look for some long lineups, I think, at liquor stores starting tonight when people watch our newscast and start making different plans for New Year's Eve and their shopping plans when it comes to alcohol. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right. Reaction to this was pretty swift. Jordan Armstrong is live in downtown Vancouver for us now. Jordan, obviously a late change in the game for restaurants and bars who are hoping to make some money this New Year's Eve. What's the reaction you're hearing? Indeed, Chris, New Year's Eve, as you said, normally a big moneymaker for this industry. We're outside a liquor store in downtown Vancouver, and Keith called it. Certainly there has been a lineup off and on here. We'll show you some pictures from earlier as word gets out about the new rules. Some customers have heard of it. Others are just finding out from us. Many in the hospitality industry also found out from us, and they're upset about that. As you can imagine, they're now scrambling to change plans and, in some cases, cancel reservations and call off staff. 
The head of the Alliance of Beverage Licensees says they want to do the right thing here. They want to work with government, but they are frustrated they're getting just one day's notice about the 8 p.m. New Year's Eve last call. This decision could force some people into bankruptcy. Uh, and we can help industry prepare for that, and people can take time to plan something different for their business to help keep customers safe if you give us a bit of notice, right? All you have to do is call us, email us, get in touch, right? And we can help you with the situation. Instead, uh, now our industry is going to be scrambling tomorrow, uh, and you're going to find a lot of confusion and unnecessary stress out there. He says this is just another blow to an industry where on average business is down about 80%. Important to stress, as Keith did, that this only affects liquor sales. You can still order food and other beverages after 8 tomorrow night. Chris? All right, Jordan Armstrong in Vancouver. Thanks, Jordan. And while many people in B.C. like to ring in the new year with a party at a ski hill, that's not happening this year either. At Big White near Kelowna, where they have had more than 100 COVID cases, they say they will have about 40% fewer people at the resort compared to the same time last year. And the strict no-party rules will be enforced with private security and a half-dozen RCMP officers on site. What we normally do up there with the fireworks and the gathering in the Village Centre Mall, none of that is happening this year. We are staying small, in your own bubble, in your own accommodation. While there have been 111 COVID-19 cases at the mountain, most of them staff members, only 17 cases remain active and the rest have since recovered. A Vancouver man accused of defying the provincial ban on social gatherings by throwing big parties at his downtown condo has been charged under the public health order. Ramina Dea has more on the repeated warnings police say he ignored and the message his arrest should send to others. Global News has learned the accused is 24-year-old Sean Adrian Lloyd. He lives here on the 48th floor of Trump Tower. Lloyd has been charged under the Public Health Act for allegedly having a gathering in violation of COVID-19 provincial rules. Vancouver police believe it's the first such charge in the province. Police say since September, they've received 12 complaints, adding that officers have issued multiple warnings to the accused to stop hosting parties, plus two tickets, totaling $2,330 each. So why so many chances? Police say they didn't have the authority to arrest Lloyd back in September. We're swimming in uncharted waters here. Um, this is this is new. Uh, public the the health orders have evolved over time, um, and that has been uh, a, a challenge that we've been working with. A source tells Global News Lloyd was also hit with almost four thousand dollars in strata fines. We've been told Lloyd is a renter, apparently based out of Miami, and the owner of the suite is from overseas. Lloyd was arrested Christmas Day, he spent a night in jail, and was released on $500 bail with conditions. He must answer the door if police knock, he must comply with all provincial health orders, and can only have two people in his home. Lloyd is supposed to appear before a judge on January 28th. We did reach out to him on social media. We have not received a response. Ramina Dea, Global News. People flying into Canada will soon be facing tough new measures. Ottawa rolling out new rules requiring all air travellers to test negative for COVID-19 before landing here. Aaron MacArthur has more on that and the current COVID-19 picture across our country. 
The flights continue to arrive. From all over the world, people landing at YVR every day. Starting soon, all of them will need to provide a negative COVID test result before they're allowed in the country. If you choose to travel, you may be forced to remain outside of Canada longer than you anticipated. The federal government announced the decision Wednesday morning. At this point, it's unclear when the program will start or how it will be administered. The information will be shared via the Arrive Canada app. Expect to see more CBSA agents at airports and expect more enforcement of the mandatory 14-day quarantine. This is not an alternative to quarantine. It's an additional layer of protection. Critics want to know why the moves to tighten travel restrictions weren't made sooner. Some say the government has failed to provide Canadians abroad with proper information. I'm concerned that Canadians who are abroad in jurisdictions that may not have easy access to PCR tests uh, might have problems. In the wake of suspending flights from the UK, there seems to be public support for more restrictions. I think it's really good that they are taking those precautions. Sounds good to me. I think it's a good idea. I would do that. The COVID numbers continue to cause concern across the country. Records of new cases set again in Ontario and Quebec. The Prairie provinces seeing double-digit positivity rates and hundreds of new cases. Alberta marking grim milestones. 1,287 new cases and now more than 1,000 deaths attributed to COVID-19. 500 of those reported since the beginning of December. Vaccine doses continue to trickle out to the public. By the end of the year, about 100,000 Canadians will have received their first shots. Less than a quarter of 1% of the population. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The mother of a 14-year-old boy who became one of B.C.'s youngest victims of gun violence is speaking out after his death tonight. Police say Tikal Willis was killed in a targeted shooting, but his family says he was a good kid and they have no idea why anyone would want to hurt him. Grace Key reports. He was a good kid. He was, he was just amazing. He didn't deserve to die. No, he didn't deserve to die. He died too soon. Like, his life is gone. Why? Takel's mother, oh, Tiffany, so and sister, Portia, are grieving over the loss of a young 14-year-old, a beloved son and brother. My son's epically amazing. He's an amazing young man. He's he my best was a good friend. friend. He He's a good me. kid. He's always, like, he's loving, caring. He always cared about people. Friends, everything. He cares about everything. Tekel's amazing. Not even old enough to drive, Tekel took a taxi 7.30 Monday night to Surrey's Guildford neighbourhood where he was shot and killed. His family says he was dropping off some keys. A dark sedan was seen leaving the area. It was a setup. Yeah. Because um, Cause he was told to go to a place that wasn't the right place and he got shot. And right. Like they said, there was a black Sudan leaving the, the, the time area, so, so it was a drive obviously it was a setup. He setup. was set up. Yeah, okay. he was okay. set up. He told us he'd be back before curfew, and he never came back. And we were like, all of us were calling his phone. Yeah, everybody. We were everybody. all like, we were even getting people that like, just everybody just to call him and see if he's okay. He wasn't answering anybody's call. The last thing he said to me, like just when he was in the cab going there, he said to me, I'm coming home soon, and he never came back. Police say it was a targeted shooting and that Takel was known to them. His mother says he was a good child who worked hard to take care of everyone. Why did you take me? You took him, take me. He had a whole life ahead of him. So they took him too soon. But like I said before, I'm sure the police will do their job and make sure whoever done this will be held to justice. I miss him so much because it's like one day, like, 
I was just like right before it happened, like I was just talking to him. I was the last person to talk to him, and it's so sad to know that he's not going to be here anymore. The gifts Takel gave his mother and sister are still under the Christmas tree. How could you take someone's life so young, so soon, and think that it's okay? It's not right. Grace Key, Global News. RCMP say a 19-year-old was the victim of a targeted shooting in Richmond late last night. Police were called to the 8,000 block of Jones Road around 10.30 and found a man bleeding from a gunshot wound. He was treated and released from hospital. RCMP say suspects have been identified, but no arrests have been made. Investigators say this incident does not appear to be connected to, to the two other recent fatal shootings of teenagers, including to Cal Willis in Metro Vancouver. Surrey RCMP say a female pedestrian killed on Christmas Day was the victim of a hit and run. It happened around 12.30 p.m. on December 25th in Newton. The woman succumbed to her injuries after she was struck by a vehicle in the 6700 block of King George Boulevard. Police say the driver took off but was arrested a few blocks away. Impaired driving is being looked at as a possible factor. No charges have been laid as the investigation continues. A hate-filled tirade caught on camera, why the targets of the racist rant are going public, and how they're using this as a, using this as a way to teach others next on the news hour. You're watching Global News Hour at six. Just before we get to Christie, let's go to the Okanagan, where around 10 centimeters of snow fell in the Kelowna area last night. And more is forecast for the next couple of days. Global's Darian Matassafung has more on the fresh snowfall and the main challenge for work crews. It was quite the sight to wake up to this morning as residents across the Okanagan opened their blinds to see a fresh winter coat of snow. Kevin Moore and his granddaughter Sophia Downward were among them. I was pretty happy. Can you tell me why you're so happy? I love playing in the snow. The same sentiment was not shared with Sophia's grandfather, Kevin. Poop. <laughs> More snow to shovel, yeah. I'm not happy with snow, no. I, I like winter. I like summer, not, not, not winter. They were hard at work this morning clearing their driveway and sidewalk in front of their Kelowna home like many other residents in the neighborhood. It's pretty slick, I'd say, actually, so they need to get some, uh, probably some of that treatment down. That is something the city says it's aware of and working on. It's really difficult when we have that kind of snowfall, like a heavy snowfall. You, you don't want to put out too much because you're just plowing it off again. So it's, it's, uh, it, that is difficult. That is a challenge. Stephen Bryan, the city's roadway manager, wants to remind residents that live on snow routes such as Clifton Road to keep their cars off the road. There's uh, six areas in the city which are our snow routes and we want the cars moved out. It makes it a lot safer for our drivers coming through and makes it so we can get through the routes a lot quicker. Darian Matassa Fung, Global News, Kelowna. Looks like a ton of fun as long as you're not shoveling it. (laughs) Or driving in it. Uh, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our forecast as Mm -hmm. we approach the end of 2020. And the last day's not looking too bad, everyone. Yeah, we've got a pretty nice day on the way. But yes, yeah, so the 8 to 10 centimeters of snow in the Kelowna area. The snowfall warning is ended, but there's still more on the way for your region. I'll show you that in a second. But I want to point out the North Shore Mountains. 42 centimeters of snow in the last 24 hours. It's no wonder they put out that avalanche warning uh, through the Brandywine area, 27 centimeters, Whistler 25 as well. Now, I want to show you the conditions in terms of the avalanche risk right now. It's at a considerable level. So the South Coast 
those mounts have been downgraded from high to considerable, but that is still considerable, everyone. So it means that we have dangerous avalanche conditions in not only the alpine, but the tree line and below as well. So uh, natural avalanches are possible and human triggered avalanches are likely. So it's really important that you have conservative decision making. That is essential. That's what Avalanche Canada is recommending right now. All right. So these are the warnings that are still in place. Whistler still has a snowfall warning. Same for the sea to sky north of Squamish. Five centimeters still possible this evening. It should ease to flurries overnight. And a wind warning for the inner coast regions. Comox over towards Powell River. Uh, southeast winds up to 80 kilometers an hour. But that should die down for you overnight. We've got a wave that's pushing on shore right now. We'll see that rainfall for the south coast region. And snowfall for the Okanagan Valley once again. No snowfall warning in effect this time though. But you could still see two to four centimeters of snow before conditions begin to ease off tomorrow morning. So still some flurries in the morning, but overall not a bad day for the last day of 2020. Before, this is New Year's, everyone. South Coast is going to be wet. As we're ringing in the new year, you can expect periods of rain. Hopefully, that will keep everyone inside at home safe. That's what I'm hoping with that rainfall there. All right, so here's your last day of 2020. Some breaks of blue sky, especially towards the end of the day. So enjoy those while they last because the first day of 2021 is looking rather stormy, especially across the south coast. So mostly dry through the middle part of the day tomorrow, but by evening, rain will redevelop and we are expecting a wet and windy first day of 2021. And I'll leave you with tonight's weather window, sorry, our central windows weather window. Uh, Beautiful shot from Aaron Cooper. This is up on the north coast and this was last night's sunset. Beautiful spot up there in the Nass Valley. Thank you, Christy. It is that time of year again when e-com is dishing on the top list, top 10 list of calls that don't belong on 911. No, they're reminding people that every time you call 911 with a non-urgent concern, you are putting the lives of other British Columbians at risk. Call takers say in addition to the increase in pandemic-related inquiries that tied up 911 lines in 2020, some familiar consumer complaints seem to wind up on its top 10 nuisance calls. So here's a look at some of the uh, top, 10, um, top 10 list. In number 10, asking for help because they were locked out of their car. Call BCAA for that. Number six, reporting that their bank card was stuck in the ATM. And the number one nuisance call the 911, complaining that their food delivery driver did not deliver their meal. And it's important to realize that 911 is for those life-threatening emergencies where immediate response is needed from police, fire or ambulance. So if you're calling about your food delivery service not dropping off your meal on time, you're taking away valuable resources from someone that could be in a life-threatening situation. Unbelievable. Was okay. number nine, was number nine that I see right confirming the time? Yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah, that was on the list. <laughs> Seriously? So, yeah. Or I turn to, on the TV. <laughs> I have to confess, when I was young, I called 411. Is that still a thing? I don't think so. 311 is. So I yeah. called 411, which was information back in the day. Right. To ask if there was school tomorrow. <laughs> Because of a snow day, and they're like, "This is Aww. this is information." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I need I'm the information." I information. Yeah. <laughs> Should have called me, Sophie. But I didn't call 911. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. But you were even younger than me at that time. Were <laughs> you doing the weather when you were seven? <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, uh, Squire. Look ahead at what's coming up in sports. See, you think if you needed to know the time, you could just ask somebody or yeah. turn things on. Uh, okay. 
So, hey, the Canucks uh, have their camping trip set, but it's not going to be a trip. They're just going to be doing it at Rogers Arena like they did last summer before the playoffs. It's all to get ready for the short all-Canadian season. January 3rd, that's when it starts. No X games, intra-squad games only, and then it's straight to real games on January 13th. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit. Also inundated by injured wildlife, how Critter Care is scrambling to keep up with a record year. It's a trip to St. Bart's he'll never forget why Ontario's finance minister is hurrying home from a vacation he never should have taken. Later on the news hour. And the dumbest calls to 911. Here's a hint you should never be discussing skip the dishes with the emergency operator. That's coming up. Some head shakers for sure. Right now, though, a B.C. Muslim outreach group is sharing video of an anti-Islam tirade this past weekend in an attempt to educate others about bigotry. As Nadia Stewart reports, the group was trying to promote unity when its members were targeted in a hate attack. And a warning, the video is disturbing to watch. Do you, you should walk away. to the airport? I don't have a better car. Ride to the airport? Hurling one insult after another, it is a blatant display of discrimination in Vancouver. The angry tirade, all caught on tape. This is fun. I'm speaking to three Muslims who are advertising religion on a public street in Canada. This video was taken on December 27th. Adnan Akil and a team of volunteers with the Meet a Muslim campaign were here on Robson Street near Butte, hoping to share information about their faith. It is not uncommon for us to uh, face comments and face sentiments which are uh, anti-Muslim. Akil says their goal was to bridge the gap between Muslims and non-Muslims, addressing misconceptions people might have about Islam. All those misconceptions are grounded in a lack of understanding of the fundamentals of Islam. People fail to realize that Islam is a way of life that has guidelines for achieving intellectual, emotional and spiritual contentment. According to data released by Statistics Canada in 2017, police reported hate crimes targeting Muslims in Canada more than tripled between 2012 and 2015. Advocates say what stands out about this incident are the interjections from bystanders trying to silence the hate. It's also uh, a symbol of what needs to happen in society as a whole. I think we need people not just who are the victims of Islamophobia to start standing up and talking about it, but we need you know, people in positions of power. That's powerful when people stand up and they say, you're not speaking for me. And I think that is something that we don't see enough of. Akil says incidents this aggressive are rare. Talk with the intention to understand and not with the intention to attack or get a point across. He's hopeful there are more people out there who are willing to listen. Nadia Stork, Global News. Still to come, lost memories returned. That was so kind, so thoughtful. The woman who found a memory card and how she found the rightful owners years later. But first, delivering success, how a BC company doubled its business after COVID hit. Next. 
Traffic is busy but steady both ways at the Lionsgate Bridge tonight. The volume varies with the lane configuration. With just one lane south, it's busy out of West Vancouver from Taylor Way. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $9 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Leave BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. A local company known for supplying consciously sourced ingredients to restaurants and retailers has made a pivot during the pandemic to bring some of those items into your home. Legends Hall launched a home grocery delivery service not only to help the company survive, but also help bring those ingredients and other restaurant favorites to everyone who's cooking more at home. Ted Chernecki has their story. Legends Hall, a company name that commemorates the early food producers and their first big haul of the season. Prior to the pandemic, their main market was high-quality meats targeted specifically at restaurants. So when COVID hit, we pivoted very quickly and we launched a grocery delivery platform selling to people's homes, uh, leveraging our resources, our vehicles, our facilities. And now we've got double the staff, we've got double the square footage of warehousing and double our fleet. He likens this new arm of business to a grocery store on wheels, and it's one with a very strong emphasis on local production. If that jam is made by somebody in BC, we can impact our supply chain and our food security locally, and it's very, very important. Here at the Cadu Bakery on Powell Street, they've managed to hire back about half their staff. We lost quite a bit of business, and we lost a lot of wholesale clients as well. But business is picking up now that Legends is hauling their baked goods much further into the BC economy. It's kind of given a people in the Lower Mainland the opportunity to discover these places that they've never uh, known about before, especially small businesses like mine. Back in Coquitlam, this load is for the Sunshine Coast. It's one of four to 600 shipments per day. And the owner doesn't expect home deliveries to change even after COVID. It's certainly um, here for the long term. As a species, we seem malleable. We've created vaccines in record time. Businesses have pivoted to stay in the game. And even those who are still struggling, and there are plenty, everyone's better prepared for the next pandemic, as it is sure to happen. Couldn't say that nine months ago. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Immediately. <laughs> Hopefully not. You're yeah. Right. A successful and quick resolution to the search for the owner of a lost memory card with 500 family photos. A Kelowna woman contacted Global Okanagan News earlier in the week looking for help to track down the owner. And not only was the family found swiftly, but it turns out there's a connection to this television station. I was so surprised this, it was found, you know, people were found that quick. So I'm glad. I'm really glad that I can return this, especially before the new year. Renata Foster found the card several years ago, forgot about it, and only recently checked what's on it. When we showed the photos during our Monday evening appeal, our production team quickly recognized one of the people in the photos is a Global BC staffer. It turns out the memory card belongs to extended family who live in Kelowna. And today the two women met so Foster could return 16 years of precious memories. Well, what a special thing to do. That was so kind, so thoughtful. I appreciate it so much. The missing chip was a surprise in itself. And then the fact that it had pictures on it that 
where as old as they are, the fact that the memory chip survived all these years. Photos were taken between 2004 and 2012. While Mackenzie had burned a disc with some of the images, she's looking forward to see what other memories have been returned to her. Be nice to go through the old pictures again. Yeah. Oh, Vanita's a friend, so maybe you're in some. I of might them. be. I don't, I don't know if I am, but you might be. <laughs> Up next, a clever idea to keep people fed. You just pop it open. The pop-up food pantry that's become very popular in a community that needs it. And the backlash against an Ontario politician for disobeying COVID guidelines. Steady traffic both ways at the Burrard Street Bridge tonight. The Canby Bridge is a little congested at the south end. And don't forget about safety upgrades and lane closures both ways at the Granville Street Bridge. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $9 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Ontario's finance minister is on his way home tonight, embroiled in a deepening scandal for traveling internationally over Christmas when the government is imploring residents to stay home. As Global's Sean O'Shea reports, the premier has changed his tune, now acknowledging he knew the minister was indeed out of the country. As Ontario residents deal with snow and a province-wide lockdown, news that the finance minister took a secret Christmas holiday to the a revelation not going over well in Rod Phillips' riding east of Toronto. Hypocrite, I guess. I think he's supposed to stay home if you tell people to stay home. you got to be responsible, especially somebody in power like that. That's unacceptable, and it will be addressed, I promise you that. Phillips flew off to the posh island of St. Bart's on December 13th, a week before the government ordered the lockdown, shutting down businesses and asking residents to stay home. On this Christmas Eve... I want to wish each and every one of you a very Merry Christmas. His Twitter feed made it appear Phillips was at home, not at a beachside retreat. A falsehood lampooned by the Room Raider account commenting, when taking an essential vacation in the Caribbean, don't forget to pack your sunscreen and a gingerbread house. Twitter posts show Phillips apparently out meeting businesses. Here's one on his front porch. The finance minister had left for the sunny south four days earlier. There were social media posts being made by Rod Phillips' team to suggest that he was the country where he in fact wasn't. At first, the premier said he didn't know Phillips was away. He never told anyone he was leaving, never told me he was leaving. Now Ford says he did talk with Phillips while he was away. I talked to him and asked where he was. He said he was away, so this is going to be an issue. Uh, my mistake, and I take full responsibility. Well, I mean, I think the premier's admitting that he lied through his teeth already. It's really, really troubling. I mean, who the heck is in charge here? Phillips ran for the party leadership three years ago and bowed out. Now one political strategist says Phillips' actions will affect his career. He's the second most powerful politician in Ontario. And for a trip to the beach and a cheap daiquiri, he's thrown it all away. He could have been Premier of Ontario. Now he's never going to be. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. An Abbotsford mother who gave birth to her second child while critically ill with COVID-19 says she was thrilled to be able to spend Christmas back at home. Jillian McIntosh was discharged from hospital on Christmas Eve. She says celebrating the holidays with her family and newborn son was one of the best gifts she has ever received. In a statement, Jillian says it was a surreal experience to wake from a month-long coma and realize she was no longer pregnant. 
She was diagnosed with the virus after having trouble breathing last month. Jillian was put on a ventilator before doctors performed a C-section to deliver her 35-week-old baby. And she remained on life support until just two weeks ago. Jillian and her husband Dave are thankful to Abbotsford Hospital staff and everyone who supported a GoFundMe campaign for them. In Health Matters tonight, Britain has become the first country in the world to approve the Oxford-AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. The British government is ordering 100 million doses of that vaccine in hopes of inoculating 50 million people with plans to deliver the first shots on Monday. AstraZeneca's chief executive says this vaccine is cheaper and much easier to distribute than the Pfizer vaccine, and it comes as a surge in infections threatens to swamp British hospitals. Experts on aging are calling on the province to relax visitor restrictions at long-term care homes. The National Institute for Aging has released guidelines to support a safe reopening of facilities to caregivers and visitors. The think tank says the consequences of restrictive visitor policies in B.C., which are more severe than in any other part of the country, are devastating for seniors in care. It's not that complicated. The key is that I appreciate that BC is focused on saying, let's protect these homes at all costs because we don't want to have people dying of COVID. But I think BC is going to have an excess number of older people in its homes who are dying of loneliness, dehydration, starvation, other things that don't make it in the statistics, but are, but are even worse tragedies, frankly. BC Seniors watchdog Isabel McKenzie has recommended that care homes should at the very least allow residents to have one visitor in their rooms, something that is not happening at a majority of care facilities. As food banks continue to see increased demand during the pandemic, a Vancouver Island community has come up with a unique homegrown solution to tackle food insecurity. Kylie Stanton has more on their efforts to help those in need and how the neighborhood is embracing it. You just pop it open. It's fully stocked. A cup of soup, some beans. But never for very long. The instructions are simple. Give what you can. Take what you need. This is a community food pantry, um, very similar to the little neighborhood libraries where you can drop off a book and you can help yourself. So same idea, but with food items and personal care items as well. Using the City of Victoria's My Great Neighborhood grant, Caitlin Boudreau created the structure, setting it up outside the Fairfield Gonzales Community Association. Her goal, to make food more accessible to anyone who may need it. I really want to reduce the stigma of just needing to grab a few food items. I think COVID really hit us all pretty hard and some individuals more so than others. So, Ten months into the global pandemic, it's becoming difficult to keep up with the demand. According to Food Banks Canada, back in August, a survey of the province's food banks showed nearly 50% in B.C. had seen at least some increase in demand since the pandemic began. In some cases, it had doubled. Since the fall, those numbers have continued to rise, putting pressure on so many organizations already struggling to meet the needs of their communities. We've seen an increase in demand by about 30%. Different people and different demographics are starting to come more and more. Many of those new faces never thought they'd be experiencing food insecurity or have to access these resources. At this point, every little bit helps. Financial donations are, are, are always best because we can stretch a dollar like nobody's business. But canned goods and anything that's uh, not fresh is welcome. The same goes here, although on a much smaller scale. It helps in so many ways, not just in the 
tangible ways, but intangible as well. Boudreau has mixed feelings about it. She wishes these pantries didn't have to exist. But perhaps this one will inspire others to do their part as well. My hope is that people in other communities and other neighbourhoods around Victoria will kind of catch on and also start um, building their own little pantries so that they're kind of more accessible for everyone. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Cool idea. Still ahead, a record year for Critter Care. This year we've taken over 700 more animals than typically we would. Why the number of injured animals is so much higher this year. And how residents are dealing with fresh snowfall in the Okanagan with more on the way. All those beer leaguers can wait, but the pros get to hit the ice. Here's Squire with the details. Well, the beer leaguers will love watching the pros, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, Actually, I was just thinking about this. Since all the games the Canucks will play will be against other Canadian teams, there will only ever be one national anthem played this season at the games. No American national anthem, I guess. Anyway, uh, the Canucks will start training camp this Sunday when they go through all their medicals and physical testing. Then they will hit the ice Monday. There will be, as we said before the break, no exhibition games, just like in July before the uh, bubble playoffs. They'll just work out until their first game on January 13th at Edmonton. Uh, They will have some intra-squad games, as we said, just like they did before the playoffs in July. Uh, The rules allow for 36 forwards and defensemen at camp and unlimited goalies. The Canucks will start with four goalies. They may go up to five. Training camp will go until January 12th. Then they will travel for their opening game, which will be in Edmonton against the Oilers. Now, the farm teams in the American Hockey League are hoping to start their season February 5th. That's the target date. Whether they can hit that target date or not, well, as we all know, that remains to be seen. There are four Canadian-based teams in the American Hockey League, and those four teams would have to play against each other, not cross the border, just like the NHL is going to do with its seven Canadian teams. Zdena Chera wanted to keep playing hockey, and he will keep playing hockey, but he wanted to keep playing as a Boston Bruin. But the Boston Bruins weren't interested in having Chera around any longer. So he's now a Washington Capitol. Signed a one-year contract with the Caps today. It's only going to pay him $795,000. It sounds a lot to us, but in the NHL, that's not a lot of money. Last year in Boston, he made around $3.5 million if you add in bonuses. Chara is now 43 years old. Played 14 years in Boston. The captain. And of course... He lifted the Stanley Cup, as we all know, on Canucks ice in 2011. Also won the Norris Trophy as best defenseman in 2009. Six feet, nine inches tall. The only thing taller than him in Washington is the monument. And at the moment, the oldest active player in the league. And Prince George Cougar fans will know that he played 49 games for them in 96-97. Well, so far in the World Juniors, Canada hasn't had too tough a time of it. They are 3-0. Uh, Two of the games were essentially looking as easy as Darth Vader going through those rebel troops in Rogue One. There's a geek reference for you. But uh, that's what usually what happens at these tournaments. The majority of the preliminary games are essentially tune-ups for the good teams. Things get serious in the knockout round. But at least one of the prelim games is always difficult. And for Canada, that'll be tomorrow against Finland, which, like Canada, is also unbeaten so far. He's open again. Green to Byfield. Shoots goal. The goal horn hasn't stopped blaring for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Canada's a perfect 3-0, having outscored their opponents 29-3, 
playing teams who seldom provided a serious on-ice threat. But that all changes on New Year's Eve when they take on Finland for first overall and top seed coming out of their group. Yeah, I think this can be good for us. Um, you know, the, the, the last couple of games, it's been, you know, us really taking it to them and um, the other team's kind of sitting back and, and, you know, just defending. Um, so when we go out and play Finland, they're, they're a crazy skilled team and, um, you know, very, very good. So it's going to be, um, you know, an, a good battle and, you know, it's going to be good for us to, um, you know, heading into the medal rounds to play, to play a team like Finland, to get us prepared to, um, you know, get us, you know, tune up on our, our defensive side of the game and, and stuff that we, you know, haven't had to work on as much in the last couple games. The fight. Goes it back across and Holmgren in scores. Power play goal. And Slovakia is back within one. The only team who kept it close and were competitive against Canada was Slovakia. That 3-1 victory, the tightest game Canada skated in heading into their final round-robin matchup. The Finns will be by far Canada's greatest threat. Finland's also 3-0, having put up 15 goals while allowing just four, second only in goals against to Team Canada. You know, it's going to be for first place in the division, so it's, uh, you know, it's a really big game. Uh, I think we've excelled as a team a lot throughout these first uh, three games in the exhibition game and just got better and better every single game. So, um, you know, I'm... I think we're all really happy with where we're at right now, but we know it's uh, just going to keep getting harder every single game from here on out. That is Surrey's Juvie Cooner signing a contract with SC Braga of Portugal's top league. He is a central defender who turns 19 on January 2nd, and his deal with Braga is for three years. It looks like the uh, MLS owners and players are uh, going to go at each other again. They actually agreed to a five-year collective bargaining agreement in early, I think it was in January, February of this year. Then the pandemic hit, of course. Now the MLS wants to uh, put in the force majeure and rework the collective bargaining agreement again. The players' union is not happy about it. The MLS said we have to do it. We lost $1 billion last year. The uh, players said they made a lot of sacrifices and that should be recognized. The league says the players got 95% of their wages in 2020. So with a few or no fans next year, they want to rework things. That's the reason. There you go. fluff. All right, Squire, thanks a lot. Let's check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. We'll have more on what will likely be a change in New Year's Eve plans for many people. The province announcing today that alcohol sales will be cut off at 8 p.m. on the last night of the year. What this means for bars and restaurants and those who had plans to go out. Plus, a third person has now died after a fiery head-on crash on Highway 1 in Chilliwack early Tuesday. Police were attempting to stop one of the vehicles involved in the crash. Details on those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris... Sounds good. Thanks, Ann. And coming up for us, taking care of injured critters at a record pace. That's next. Well, 2020 has been a tough year, he said in the most understated way possible. <laughs> and that includes for wildlife. One local rescue organization has seen a huge increase in the number of sick and injured animals coming in. 
Catherine Urquhart explains what could be behind the trend and how Critter Care is coping with the increase. So this is Mabel. She's six months old. She's the only beaver that we've had this year. Mabel is one of the latest animals to arrive at Critter Care Wildlife Society in Langley. They've been caring for sick, injured, and orphaned animals for more than 30 years. 2020 has been busier than ever. This year we've taken over 700 more animals than typically we would. So we're up to um, over 2,500 now. Staff expected that COVID would result in less rescues. They were wrong. It has done the opposite. It seems to be the other way around. Uh, more people are at home and being more observant, seeing these animals that are orphaned and injured and giving us a call. Further exacerbating Critter Care's needs, only a handful of interns are helping these days, when typically there would be a few dozen. It's a lot of work, but I think it's so worth it. Um, you get a lot of like hands-on experience with wildlife that you wouldn't usually get. Would-be volunteers are encouraged to contact the society which is also seeking donations. We all care, we all want to help these animals, but this year has been definitely one of the toughest we've seen. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. This has been a tough year? It's been a tough year, apparently. <laughs> so they say. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Well, we're almost near the end of it. And uh, real quick, I want to say a happy Sweet 16 birthday to my favorite neighbor, everybody will understand why I say that, to Maddie Murray, who turns 16 tomorrow night. Have a great awesome. party, even if you're keeping it in the bubble. <laughs> happy birthday. Yeah. And birthday happy almost Maddie. new year. All right, that's all the time we have tonight. Have a good night, all. See you tomorrow. <laughs>